You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Trailblazers for another week. I'm Ricky Swanell, and my guest today is champion weightlifter Megan Signal. Megan is a seven-time holder of seven New Zealand weightlifting records, plus a couple of Oceania ones, and she's just been selected to go to the Birmingham, Birmingham Commonwealth Games. Finally, hopefully, getting to compete after, well, we'll find out, a, a few issues at major <laughs> events. Megan, welcome into Trailblazers. How are you? Thank you. I'm so well. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for taking the time. Um, well, let's start with this most recent and being named in the Commonwealth Games team for Birmingham, which is coming up at the end of July. What was that moment like to get there, to get your name announced, to get your little, I think you, you get a little plant and all of those lovely things yeah. that the New Zealand team did. How's that been? Oh, it was so special. It was really special. I had um, some of my close friends there and, you know, it was just, it was a day of just relief, I guess, after for everyone, such a, a trying period getting to that point. So huge relief, just really special. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a really happy day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I guess there's been such a the lack of international competition over the last couple of years. Mm. Did it impact on various athletes qualifying and actually trying to, you know, to, to be able to get to the Games? Yeah, it did actually, because I think um, from memory we had two competitions um, either cancelled or made so difficult to get to that it just wasn't an option. Um, so we actually last minute New Zealand weightlifting had to put on an international sanctioned event here in Auckland, um, which was organized really last minute. And it just meant that everyone only had that one shot. That was their one opportunity. So I guess it put a little bit of pressure on knowing that that was your only opportunity to get on the ranking list. Um, but also it put a pressure on the organization and the administrators as well to, to pull this out of the bag. So it all worked out, but it did it did make the process a little bit more difficult. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd had a, a brief foray into some weightlifting commentary a couple of years ago, and one thing <laughs> I did notice at the Nationals was that there is very much a can-do kind of attitude. Like, Richie Patterson was running the event, but he was also making sure that the pies were warm because weightlifters <laughs> like a pie after they've competed. They're, you know, they're sweeping the platform. Then he came over to commentary and everybody just mucks in. And, and is that yes. how that kind of was able to happen? Oh, absolutely. Like, it was incredible. Again, like the short period of time that it was organized. But also one cool thing to kind of be a part of was the athletes were the ones who put up the stage put on the platform, put it all together, and then the athletes plus all the organizers, helpers were the ones to pack it down after we all competed. So it was just like it was a really nice kind of feeling at the same time just knowing that 
you know, everyone was there to make it happen and to make sure that everyone got their best opportunity. And we were all supporting each other in more ways than just cheering each other on. We were physically putting it together and physically pulling it apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and well, I guess like, I mean, on the bright side, as you say, you've got one opportunity, right? And that's what competition is like in weightlifting. You are, it is a very much on the day sport. You've got to go out, you've got to go out to perform. And so I guess for some athletes who hadn't been in that situation, trying to qualify for a game, this is your one shot. Mm. We, let's, let's give it a nudge. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It was just bring it all on the day and then put it all together as best you possibly can. And I guess the, you know, that's how you re- that's how you find the best athletes anyway. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. So for you, uh, to, to give our, our listeners a bit of an overview, you came back from a, a really nasty shoulder injury, shoulder surgery, which, which ruled you out of the Tokyo Games at the kind of 11th hour. How was it to, for you to be able to, <clears throat> how has that rehab been to be able to get to that point of being able to perform confidently and obviously well to secure that Commonwealth Games qualification? Yeah, I, I guess I'd, I'd probably just describe the whole period as a bit of a pressure cooker because it really felt like you know rehab's tough in itself and getting back to competition and lifting after an injury is tough in itself but we were doing it in a short period of time so it was doable it just meant it was everything had to go into it um and so I guess it it was challenging it was always going to be challenging but at the same time I knew that we had only this the short period of time this one opportunity put everything into it the team around me put everything into it and we just worked really hard in that space of five months um from the time of having surgery and even prior to that you know like we were in lockdown it was we just came out of uh MIQ straight into lockdown and then straight into surgery so even in that period of time I had to kind of get over what had just happened as best as I could, as quickly as I could, so I could move into the next phase. So, yeah, I guess that's how I'd describe it, a pressure cooker of, of work, but it was mm. it was worth it and it paid off. <laughs> what, what was the nature of the injury and the surgery that you had? So the nature of the injury was I dislocated my shoulder. It was a posterior oh. dislocation, so I, um, it was quite different to what um, the surgeon said he'd usually see in terms of how I did it. Um but I initially had an unstable shoulder, a torn labrum, which I wasn't aware of. It just felt like an ugly shoulder. We only found that out at the time of um, surgery. Uh, the dislocation happened. We tried to, um, you know, like strap it in and, and just see if it was, if we were able to put up some lifts to get onto the Commonwealth ranking list. Um, and in that process, with little force at all, we managed to we, I managed to dislocate it twice again in the last um, sort of like 36 hours going into competition. So I think that solidified that it wasn't stable enough to lift. Um, and in that process, I ruptured my uh, supraspinatus and my rotator cuff um, and then had a few other little tears. So just a little bit of collateral damage there. Uh, so they just repaired all of that, reattached what they needed to reattach, tighten everything up, and then we went into the healing process. It's, so in layman's terms, it sounds like you did it really well. You, yeah, like, I did You it really did a well. proper job of ruining your shoulder. I really did. <laughs> they told me it was a 65-year-old woman's or men's um, injury, not usually oh. a 32-year-old, so that was that was great to hear. <laughs> Oh God! But but obviously, like you can laugh about it now, thankfully. But it, I mean, it had pretty massive consequences. So when did it happen in relation to the Tokyo Olympics? 
Uh, so the I dislocated it the night before we left. Um, oh. So it was my last sort of opportunity to do a heavy session. When we're, as a build-up, you have specific days you go heavy, specific days you button off um, on those on that last week. So it was the night before we flew out. We were flying out three days before competition. Um, so we were, yeah, I did it, and then we were due to get on a plane 12 hours later, so it wasn't the time to pull the pin. We'd just get over there, assess what's happening with the shoulder, see the doctors, do what we can, and then make a call from there. So, yeah, it was that few days was um, very tough, <laughs> very mm-hmm. tough, yeah. <laughs> did you did you know, did you, you did your gut tell you that this wasn't good and that you, well, you like, let's get going, but? It, it actually didn't, and I feel like this is the, I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or if it's just, you know, positive thinking, but I really did. I really was fighting right till the very last second. It was the moment that I knew was the moment that I told my coach, this is, this is not happening because my body is just shutting down. It won't let me do anything. Um, I mean, mentally, emotionally, I was obviously, I was tapped out and completely drained mm-hmm. by that point. So um, right up until then, when we're still, you know, like strapping it in, I was still just working on just getting a bar overhead. Mentally, I was willing to fight to the last second. So I don't think I realized we were pulling the pin until we literally decided that night that we were pulling the pin. Yeah. Oh, must have been such a, well, devastating is probably the word. And, and the, this biggest moment of your career, well, you probably, possibly your life. Yeah. Um, and that it just it unraveled. I mean, who, who and how, how did you kind of get through that period? Um, at what, at what was a very strange games anyway, um, given that, you know, you weren't really allowed close contact with people and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in that regard, I was really lucky. We were staying in the apartment with um, three of the other lifters, so David, Kana, and Cam. Um, we also had the three coaches there with us. So, And we're all, we're all friends, and they actually became a really good support network for me in that, in that short period of time. Um, but I think more importantly is that, you know, unknowingly we'd actually prepared for this because we knew that COVID was going – you know, throughout the last two years of the qualifying period, we knew that was going to um, spiral things into a, a process that we didn't understand and we didn't know. We knew there was a possibility that I wouldn't qualify because we didn't real we didn't even get selected to right up to the last second. Um, you know, the last couple of months, so there was all these um, realities that we were having conversations about and we were mentally preparing for, you know, like you're going to be okay if you don't qualify. You're going to be okay if COVID means that the Olympics is cancelled. Yeah. We're staying in the process. We're loving the process. We're loving the journey. And, you know, there were tons of these conversations had between myself and my coach. Um, so when this happened, it was almost like all of those conversations kind of helped me prepare for that moment. We didn't know that was coming. But I, I was devastated, obviously, and I was I was really upset, very emotional, but I also knew I was going to be okay because we prepared for something like this. Um, mm. So I think that was probably the most important thing. And, not, and then over there I had I had a tight team checking in on me, making sure I was okay, and, and I had the rest of the team to support, so that kind of was a really good distraction. Yeah, yeah. It, because it, obviously you'd been selected for Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in 2018 and couldn't compete at that as well, right? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> what, did, what did you do that? What did you do that time? <laughs> I did my ACL. <laughs> oh, oh gosh, hey, that's a, that's a biggie too. It was. That was just before my last trial. Um, I ruptured my ACL and had a bucket handle tear of my meniscus. So that was another good one. Um, good one. <laughs> good one. Yes. 
Uh, so that was just before my last trial and the NZOC and the selectors selected me anyway because it was it was unknown. We were five months out as well. The The timing was almost exactly the same um, as this Commonwealth Games and unknowingly, sorry, unknown how long it would take for a weightlifter to get back to lifting on an ACL um, right. tier. They selected me on condition that I could meet a certain point before competition. Um, so I worked really hard after surgery to get to the point that I needed to meet. And one lift came back a lot easier than the other. Um, but also mentally, I don't think I was quite there. I was I was lifting in fear the whole time of redoing my knee. So I didn't quite make it. So I was removed from the team um, a few weeks out. Do you, are you quite, are you quite kind of pragmatic in that well you know injuries are part of sport and it just has had so happened that you've had them at the really bad timing or whatever or are you like oh god it's just not meant to be or sort of throw to the universe how how are you kind of how do you mentally take it all in (laughs) I'm a realist you know like this is this is the reality of sport and I mean you can't you can't turn off all the emotions that come with it but at the end of the day you know I I do love what I do and I will keep coming back to continue doing what I love what I do and and if I get injured again that's just another reality this happens I'm not the only one this has happened to this has happened to multiple people and um I actually have had a great time you know I I have had a lot of wins um as well as these two competitions that haven't you know led to any led to me being on the field of play um are just two competitions but I've actually had a ton of wins so I, as long as I focus on those and I just keep doing what I love, I think um, you have to be pragmatic about it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you have, when you did come back in the, after the surgery and you're competing again, were there any apprehension? Because obviously shoulders kind of important for weightlifting, but kind of important for every single thing you do in <laughs> life. Like you can't even really brush your hair properly without a good shoulder. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I, I There was definitely apprehension. You know, I just had to take it a day at a time because – I there were moments where I thought, "What are you doing, Megan? <laughs> You're 32, and you've had two like reconstructions of like key joints, and you know you've got other things you want to do." And there are definitely those conversations with myself. But at the end of the day, it came back to this: this gives me the life that I want to live. This gives me opportunities um, that I want to take, and it it helps my career. It helps um, my mental health. It's it's all it's all good for me. So. Working for it is not, you know, it's, it all comes back to that. It's not, it should, it's the only option for me. It's, mm. it's just, yeah, a good time. Yeah. Yeah. My guest on Trailblazers here on SCNZ is champion weightlifter Megan Single Signal. We'll be back with him more in a moment. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. You're listening to Trailblazers on SCNZ with me, Ricky Swanell, and my guest today is weightlifter Megan Signal. Uh, we're talking about sort of the most recent things that have happened, but how did you even get into the sport? Uh, so I got into the sport through joining a corporate gym initially. So I was working um, for Pumpkin Patch at their head office. Uh, we had a corporate gym on site, and I joined that gym just to kind of lose some weight. Uh, the trainers who were contracted to that gym I still now work with and they kind of taught me some some basic things around weightlifting other movements that you find in CrossFit and then I ended up getting into CrossFit which the clean and jerk of the snatch is part of 
that sport. Um, so yeah, I just kind of migrated towards the weightlifting side of it a little bit more and knew that I loved it. So even though I was competing in CrossFit, I was dabbling in weightlifting and eventually I made the switch um, and put everything into weightlifting to see what I could do. Mm. So, because when you said I think you you joined the gym, and I think I'd read somewhere that you hadn't even really walked into a gym before you did that. Was it all just about getting a bit, as you say, healthier and and feeling a bit better about yourself at that time? Yeah, one hundred percent. I'd never joined a gym before. Um, I just I needed to lose some weight, needed to make some healthier lifestyle choices. So that was the first step, and I had no idea it would lead to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like quite an extreme step. <laughs> yeah. but, but where, like, where did and and I think probably because and probably particularly women, we all battle with this, right? Like, where did you get that motivation or the desire to like make that change? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get a bit fitter and a bit healthier and feel better and all of those things, not knowing that it would lead to this. Uh, it's a little bit cliche actually because it was a bit of a rock bottom point for me so I was kind of like I desperately needed to make some changes um I wasn't really healthy physically mentally or anything like that so it was just it was just make make a step and I had some friends at the office who were going to the gym so it was kind of like a little bit of an easy like you know I didn't have to actively go out and join a gym I just had to kind of show up so yeah so it was it was that kind of situation for me initially um and then we were there for quite a while just trying to work through that before I even learned how to lift yeah yeah because and you obviously you work in in, um training and all of that sort of stuff too do you see that that there's almost sometimes women a shyness to go to the gym and to to make those first steps it can be really hard Yes, yes, absolutely. And for men and women, like it's, it is such, it, it seems like a small step when you're someone who's in, in the fitness industry or you're used to doing it. But I think I have to, being a coach, I have to remember how hard that first step was because I do see it within our gyms. Um, you know, people are really apprehensive to, to join or even to walk in the building. They're really, really uptight or really nervous. And, and it's up to us to kind of make sure that they feel comfortable because that first step is really important. Yeah. Why do, why do you think it is there's that kind of that, that nervousness or, or whatever to, to do it? I guess everybody's different, but yeah. what do you see in, 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 in your work? I just see people making up a lot of stories as to where they need to be before they make that step. Or, you know, you'll walk into a gym, they'll look at 10 people in there and they'll straight away tell themselves that those people are incredibly fit. They don't have any you know, um, issues with going to the gym, they don't struggle. And, and I think then they make comparisons, um, instantly straight off the bat that they are way down here and everyone else within that gym is way up here. Not, not realizing that everyone had to go through that process or actually still are going through that process. So I think the comparison thing's huge. Um, and that's what stops people or just fear of, of failure. Um, when that's not necessarily something that, you need to worry about when you make that initial step you just have to make it and then take everything a day at home from there yeah because we all like walk into a gym and, th- and start doing whatever and think everybody's looking at, at us like I was thinking yeah. looking at me but they're <laughs> actually all so busy doing their own thing right that is really true and I do tell people that I'm like don't worry they don't care what you're doing they're worried about themselves <laughs> <laughs> what like uh, what would be your advice to people to to who like you like you did those years back to to take that first step to to get there and not to become a, a you know an Olympic weightlifter but just to mm. get themselves into that space yeah, I think I just I just say to do make that 
positive, empowered decision for yourself and not think about anything else, like not worry about anything. Just walk into a gym and have a conversation with a trainer or um, whoever, you know, receptionist, whoever's there, even a friend who goes to the gym, have a conversation with them and just make that initial step and don't put any limitation, any expectations on what comes after that because this is an industry of professionals as well. We're designed, we're there to kind of help you figure out what happens next, but it's up to the individual to make that initial step and you don't have to, yeah, expectation and comparison, it just, it destroys everything and it ruins your your progress. So um, yeah, initial step is most important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, as you're saying, you made that step and, and progressed through in weightlifting. When did you sort of get competitive or realise that you that you certainly had some ability in this sport and, and wanted to push on further? Uh, I think I was actually quite lucky that, you know, the trainers who I met in that first corporate gym, they were getting into CrossFit and competition and they were the ones who were kind of telling me that that they saw some potential in me and I didn't believe it. I just kind of went along with it. I've never been good at anything. So I kind of just went along with it. Um, and they, they were the ones who sort of pulled me along. And then I initially, I eventually joined their gym. Um, not when trained there, not just the corporate gym, which was a CrossFit gym. And then you started, I just started surrounding myself with people who were kind of all on the same journey as I was. And that's, I think it was until I realized myself you're actually okay at this. You should, you know, explore it a little bit more, which didn't probably didn't happen until a year or two years down the track, to be honest. Um, but until then, I had people around me who were just sowing seeds and giving me opportunities, and all I had to do was just take them. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a lot, obviously a technique and um, a couple of different disciplines within the sport. How, how do you how do you describe people? We all look at it and think, oh yeah, that's pretty easy. But what are the some of the technical elements that you've had to learn? along the mm. way first of all just body awareness I had no idea how to you know move my body in a way that would move weight <laughs> back then yeah. so just creating some body awareness um learning how to use parts of my body I'd never used before and then just understanding the movement it, this is where I get a little bit obsessive of it now because when you understand the movement and understand yes the goal is to get the weight from a to b in a nice straight line what do we need to do around that weight to, to make that happen and there are millions of different things that you can think about but it's just kind of focusing on one little bit at a time and that's what I it, it's a constant learning and that's what I get a little bit kind of um, addicted to is is trying to I don't think we'd ever perfect it but just trying to better it um so yeah some of the things to understand is just literally you first thing you need to know is how to pick up weight off the ground in the strongest way possible in the most efficient way possible and so how to use your body to do that and then how to receive weight overhead in the strongest and most efficient way possible, and then um, repetitively doing it over and over yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it must be, and, and so many sports are now using weightlifting in their training, you see it, because of the, there's that explosive power and all that, but the biomechanics of it must be really fascinating. I'm sure there's, like, some of the boffin-type coaches and S&C people or that must just love looking at the technique and all of those things that, that go with it. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually, I think it works well for me. You know, my coach is, he's quite chill. He tries to make sure that we're not overthinking all of, <laughs> all of that because that's their job and they just give us one cue. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, but it is really interesting. Yeah. 
um, do you remember, as you said, when you'd kind of people had been pushing you along and all of that, walking into your first competition, deciding that, yeah, right, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to a competition and, and doing that for the first time? Yeah, I do. We all signed up for our first weightlifting competition together and we had no idea what we were walking into. And I remember um, the guys who I was competing with, they were like, oh, no, it's going to be like this. You're going to have heaps of height. Now you'll PB your lifts. And they, they, they made all these things up. They'd never done a comp before. And it was completely the opposite. <laughs> so I remember it vividly because I was just like a, a deer in headlights. Like I had, I was just like, what is this sport? It's nothing like CrossFit. Um, but I do remember it vividly and I think almost that, that shock factor and like, that's what kind of wanted me to come, like made me want to come back. Um, because I was like, that was not what I expected at all. I need to make this better. (laughs) (laughs) Lies, all lies. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take another quick break here on SCNZ, uh, Trailblazers with me, Ricky Swanell and my guest today, Megan Signal. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. It's Trailblazers time on SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and we've been chatting with champion weightlifter Megan Signal about how she got into the sport, walking into a gym for the first time, uh, and then learning the ways of the ways of weightlifting. Uh, Megan, it's a when you're out there, it is, seems like the most solo pursuit, but. There's an incredible, it seems like there is an incredible team environment around weightlifting. Is that how it is? Yeah, it really is. Um, Obviously, when you step onto the platform, you are on your own. It's up to you. Um, But I think every other element of the sport other than that one moment is is a team effort. Um, And that's because, you know, like in order to to train well day in and day out. Like you really do need the energy of everyone around you. You're all experiencing the same, you know, training the same lifts. And so I think um, you naturally, like you just, if you bring everyone up around you, you'd lift better and vice versa and things like that. So it's, it really is. And I don't, I very rarely, I do train by myself in the mornings, but I very rarely am on my own um, in the process. So it is very much a team sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm what's that like for, for those who haven't seen weightlifting? It's, it's quite often held in sort of auditorium styles this stage. The judges sit alongside or down the bottom and then there's this, almost like a spotlight on this lifting platform that you walk out onto. What is that like standing over that on the platform, standing over the bar and, and getting ready to lift? Oh, well, in, in my experience, <laughs> it's actually really freeing. Like it's, it's really um, – like I love it. I seriously love it. It's, I think it's just because all the noise is just gone. Like it's just gone and you can choose to kind of look at the cameras and the lights and everything like that and get annoyed by the person tapping their foot on the right hand side. Um, (laughs) But, but for me really, like you've, you've done that specific lift thousands and thousands of times. And now it's just about kind of being in that one present moment. And so for me, it is actually really freeing. It's probably the most calmest, um, place for me is on that platform but I know for others and in previous experiences it hasn't been that it's been stressful I've noticed everything that's out in front of me and that was just something that I had to overcome in order to be better on the platform yeah because to explain and and 
like I've been lucky, been to a couple of Commonwealth Games and Olympic competitions. The atmosphere in a weightlifting, I would, if you ever get a chance to go to a big weightlifting event, the atmosphere is unbelievable. But, but basically, you walk out, you get a big chair, and then it goes dead silent, right? So, <laughs> yes. how do you switch off, like you say, somebody sneezing or coughing in the back while you're doing your lift, while you wait, hopefully, for the lights and the roar to come of the crowd? I think that's, that's definitely something you have to train because you yeah. have to, you know, like we always say, my coach has said this to me a hundred times. No matter where you are, what country you're in, um, what time it is, the four by four that you're standing on is exactly the same. The, the platform is exactly the same. The bar is exactly the same. So it's about kind of either taking yourself back to a place in training where you're not sinking or just bringing yourself into that one moment and switching everything else off. It's actually something you have to train. Um, but then often, you know, like if you are feeling a little bit off and, and you are kind of hearing something to the right, seeing something to the left, someone's moving in front of you, all things out of your control. But it's all it's it's all kind of like it it's dependent on how you're feeling. If you're going into that competition quite stressed, you'll notice everything. But if you're going into it calm, you'll just be able to not panic, hear it, ignore it, move on, focus on the left. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that happens is there's a whole lot going on out the back. That like that, that, that's why there's always a camera and weightlifting out the back because mm. that's where there's a lot of action. Um, so can you describe what actually happens out there? What people are doing? Coaches are taking notes and looking over each other's shoulders and putting things to judges and there's all sorts. It's great. That, that's where everything happens. Yeah. <laughs> that's where everything happens. You know, like it's actually quite crazy. The coaches, the coaches have, I always said, the harder job um, because not only are they coaching you through your warm up, but they're also actually timing your warm up. They're watching what everyone else's numbers are doing and changes are doing, so they can determine what you need to do in order to give yourself, give you a shot at a podium or a whatever placing. Um, so that it's a really big numbers game. Um, but alongside of that, there are some interesting things, particularly in pinnacle events where there's a lot of games being played. So um, even in our qualifier, it was, it was something that we had to do. It was just like juggling numbers. So you might put your number up to kind of shock someone, um, a, another lifter, you know, they might think, oh my gosh, they're going to go for that. Can I go higher than that? Or do I do a pull back? Um, so you've got to play a little game. Then you might drop your number and they're like, oh, okay, well, that was a bad call on my part. But there's also like a, some intimidation that happens in the back between athletes, you know, like it's not really my thing, but I've definitely had a lot of athletes try to intimidate me. Um, some coaches will make changes last minute. So you don't think you're going out, but then last minute you, you are going out. So they try and like throw you that way. Um, there's lots of games that can be played, but I feel like that's where most of it happens out the back. And then on, out yeah. on the platform, all you see is literally just the lifts, but yeah. it's pretty exciting times out the back. Yeah, it's a cool. Honestly, as I say to people, like if you ever get a chance to go to a, a big weightlifting cop, it's great. One of the best atmospheres I've ever been in was when Richie Patterson won his gold in Glasgow, pulled mm. it out on the last lap. The place just went mad. It's the coolest. Yeah, thing. it really is. Um, it really is. Yeah. Um, you've, you've mentioned your coaches and, and your t- who, who's who's your coach? Who are the people who've I guess influenced you and support you to get to to this point? Uh, yeah, so I've got a, I've got a pretty cool team. Um, so my coach, Simon Kent, he runs Papatoetoe Weightlifting Club. Um, every single lifter within that club, we're all so tight. Um, so we all look after each other. So they've been a huge influence. Um, and the gym that I work at and that where I started, um, Renegade Fitness, uh, the two owners, Zach and Callum have been, they were the, 
the two who actually introduced me to the sport. So, and they've been a support all the way through until now. Um, and then outside of that, I've sort of through kind of going through injuries and ups and downs and things, I've sort of curated a team. So I've had a mindset coach, Kate, um, an incredible physio, Sarah, who's been with me since I did my ACL and she's, I've seen her every week since, (laughs) um, (laughs) and you know, like you, you end up just curating a team of people who are there to support you regardless of your results and, and whatever you need. So I've got a chiropractor, I've got a massage therapist, all these people who I call on at different times who are just there. And I'm really grateful for them because I feel like if you don't have that, it can, it can be a little scary. Yeah. yeah. Simon Kent is probably someone, he's sort of become a pretty familiar face across New Zealand sport now. How He seems like quite a remarkable man and the, the passion and effort he puts mm. into the sport is um, second to none, I would say. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. <laughs> it is, it's quite phenomenal what he does. He He's at our trainings um, twice a day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then, um, you know, turns up to the club. He's He's not paid to coach us. He um, puts all his time and effort into not just us who are competing at internationals, but also the 14-year-old kid who's walking in and touching a bar for the first time. He's looking after them as well. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of us. So that that's incredible in itself. But outside of that, I think he just – he really does understand, um, you know, the holistic approach to being a high performer in everything, not just sport. And he, he really does look after us in that way and making sure that, you know, we, we don't feel like we're a number. We don't feel like we're just there to get results. We're looked after. Our careers are looked after. We understand, you know, that there's got to be life after sport, during sport, all these other things. So then, you know, in situations like I explained earlier, I get to my Olympic dream and it's pulled out from underneath me. I'm, I'm actually going to be okay because yeah. I know that, you know, my whole journey, my whole life was not dedicated to getting onto that platform. And I think that's where his work, is, his leadership is really, really important. Um, he looks after, we've got a women's forum and actually a men's now at our club. So we look, he creates spaces where I guess we're able to um, look after each other um, mm-hmm. and make sure that we're educated in things that are important to us as females and males, et cetera. Um, and all of those things done that, that are honestly done in the background. No one knows about them except for our little group. And that's the really important stuff. So I think he just gets it. Mm. It's, I mean, it's a sport not without controversy in all sorts of different avenues. <laughs> how, I mean, how do you, on, on that international stage particularly, and there's been doping and all of that kind of stuff, how would you describe it to someone who who just sort of maybe has a negative opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think I think first thing to know is that that what you see on media is it's curated. So there is there is this in in all sports, and unfortunately, yes, it's a major thing in our sport. Um, I'm on the weightlifter the IWF Athletes Commission, so there's a big movement in cleaning up our sport in terms of anti doping, um, but also um, within. Uh, the executive board and making sure that, you know, the, the people at the top are doing good things for the sport and the future yep. of the sport. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done. And I think it's important, you know, if you're outside looking in, it's important to know that there's so much good being done out of the bad. So 
there might there are there is a lot of doping in our sport and it is being cleaned up and some really positive changes have been made in order to ensure that the future of the sport is solid um, and it's more fair um, and I guess we only hear about the bad and it's good to recognize that it's there but also out of that it's bringing a really like some really good unity between the athletes in order to clean up the sport and that's really important as well um, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, too, it, you guys have been thrown into the spotlight massively with with Laurel over the last couple of years. And regardless mm. of what your opinion on her competing, whoever, whatever, mm. um, how has that like has that been challenging? How how do how do you kind of reconcile all, all that goes on, regardless of where you sit on it? Yeah, I would say it definitely has been challenging because I think you know it's an it's an important topic. Um, and regardless of how we feel mm. about it, it, it does need to be talked about. Um, but at the end of the day, us as athletes, you know, like I, I experienced it on my first ever Olympic selection. Media did just want to ask us about yeah. that. And it was a real, it, it put a stain on our experience, not because of the topic, but because that that's where the media was focused. And we had these really incredible experiences to celebrate ourselves. Um, and so I think, and in, in that scenario, you know, when you're trying, you're there with your family, you're at your first Olympic selection, and all anyone wants to talk about is is that. That's nothing against Laurel. That's kind of no. just like the media wants to go to the negative or wants to go to that and, and kind of, I guess, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was that's the only real kind of negative thing I can think about it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're athletes. We're there to do our job, and um, we, we all have something to stand for. And then we have to retract and we just have to kind of shut out the noise and do what we have to do. Um, so that's kind of what we've tried to do for the most part, yeah. Yeah, understandable. Damn media. Damn media. <laughs> <laughs> most are good, most are good. And then there's, ah, come on. <laughs> on that note, we, we better take a break um, and we'll come back with more with Megan Signal on Trailblazers. <laughs> I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Welcome back into Trailblazers with me, Ricky Swanell, and my guest, Megan Singer. We'll be having a great old yarn about all sorts of things. Um, and we're going to get a bit of life outside the platform and outside the weight limit, even though your life is also a gym and all of that. Because, I, I mean, I don't imagine it's the fi- most financially lucrative sport you could have chosen. That's <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> But unfortunately, it was the only one that I was good at and one that I loved, so that's okay. Um, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> no. So you have it. So you have a, a gym of your own. Yes, so I help run a um, gym here in East Tamaki in Auckland, um, and I've been working there since 2017 now. Um, and the great thing about, I guess, working in this industry and working with such a good team is that they understand the need to to kind of step away and come back in and travel and come back in and and now we're navigating just trying to be a full-time athlete but still have some form of income and and what that might look like so they're really supportive of that um because yeah it is just a reality Mm. yeah Mm. and do you enjoy that governance stuff with the international weightlifting and and that kind of side of it I do actually because I'm learning a lot and yeah it, it does help me to kind of, I mean, you do. I, I do enjoy understanding the governance side of things and and everything that happens outside of me stepping on and off the platform, um, because I do hope that 
it will give me some tools in future when I eventually do retire to kind of give back to the sport and help the athletes that are in the sport. So yeah, it's a big learning process for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm based in East Tamaki, but you're from, you're, you're, a, you're a mighty Waikato, aren't you? You're from, from Hamilton or Matamata? I right? am. Yeah. I'm a Matamata girl. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're, are your parents Filipino? You're a Filipino background? I do. My mum's Filipino. My dad's from yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So does that um, culture influence your, your sort of how or how is that part of your life and your culture and, and all mm. of that, like being with, you know, embracing that side of you? Of you? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. I mean, the, the culture of, um, of the Philippines is very much, you know, uh, how would I explain it? I guess I've, I've learned a lot from my mum and how to approach life and how to live life. And, and that's very much an essence of their culture. It's very much, a um, you know, like having faith in what you're doing, um, working incredibly hard. My mum's the hardest worker I've, I've ever known. And, and I think a lot of that has filtered down into me, which I'm really grateful for because I've been able to take that into my sport. Um, and she's a very grounding person for me. Anytime I kind of get worried about things that are insignificant, you know, her, how she's been brought up in the Philippines kind of comes back and I can reground and make sure that I'm in a good place. And, um, and I think also being able to lift and represent New Zealand, it actually has connected me to my family a lot more because I feel like I'm representing them in the Philippines as well. They're, they're really proud to see, um, what I'm doing and, and love being a part of it. And I love them being a part of it. So even, auntie and uncles I haven't been able to or I haven't spoken to very often they all are part of this and they all check in with mum and we all talk about it and so I feel like I'm representing New Zealand but I also represent um our province back in the Philippines yeah that's really cool mm. do, have you spent much time there or do you well obviously not for the last couple of years but you did you did you and your mum or whatever get over there at all uh yes I've spent I've had a couple of really good trips there um it's quite hard to access the province where my mum is from um but I do plan on getting back there when travel's a little bit easier and I've spent enough time to be able to know that that's that's definitely a part of me yeah (laughs) yeah what um outside what's life like outside of the the gym and lifting and rehabbing is is there time for much more how do you chill out how do you wind down (laughs) there's a little bit of time (laughs) no I I mean I am I am a social being but I've the nature of of doing what we're doing is that you you do spend a lot of time on your own focusing on your sport um so the time that I do get I'm spending with family I've got two beautiful um nieces and nephews down in the Waikato and I get down there as much as I can so getting time with my family and my close friends is really important um I do like getting like doing outdoor things so like getting out on the water fishing hiking any anything I can to kind of reground outside of sport is really important as well. And if, if it doesn't happen very often, that's okay as long as it's happening at some point yeah. to kind of yeah break it break it up a little bit. Yeah, it, it must be like it is challenging, right? When you're committing to this life and these goals and all of that, that do you ever sometimes feel like that you're neglecting your other your relationships? I know when we all get busy and everyone's busy at the moment, it's like oh god, it's all I feel like I'm saying. I'm so busy and I'm not mm-hmm. seeing anyone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, especially because I think, you know, I came into the sport later um, and I was a, re- I was a really social person. Um, so it took me probably a good two years to figure that out 
how do how do you yeah for lack of a better word how do you be selfish to make sure that you're aligning things with this big goal of making it to the Olympics or whatever it is um whilst explaining or whilst helping your close friends and family understand that this is what's necessary because they don't know what's what's needed I even said this to my sister recently she said you know like we there was a lot of tension in our relationship we were incredibly tight but there was tension because she didn't understand what I needed to do to make it to this goal and I didn't know how to explain to her and to articulate that this is what I needed to do so there's always going to be friction in those relationships until you're just openly communicating with the people most important to you that please this is this is what it has to be done and it's I don't know I don't even know the right way of doing it because I think that's where a lot of my like battles have mentally have come from is is feeling like I'm not giving back to my family and my friends as much as I feel like I should um but I think time helps just figure that out so it does it is a process and I think if you if you're bred into a sport if you're coming into sport really really young that's just an understanding of that you have and that's an understanding that everyone around you has whereas I found it quite tough as an adult to navigate that so um mm. yeah time time helps you figure everything out and I don't know what the right <laughs> right way of doing it is but yeah yeah well, I, I, important. I, and what I'm what I in particular in doing this series and talking to women about is and with high performance athletes is there is it does or sport does give you this opportunity to kind of dig into yourself a little bit and figure out what works and and to ask those questions about your your relationships or how you're Mm -hmm. doing things as well is that does that ring true 100 100 percent. i i'm a very different person now than i was four years ago and in the best possible way you know just because you're forced through some um key situations and decision making to kind of further understand who you are at the core in order to make some pretty big hard decisions um and you know like you're talking about females I just put it out there the first thing is that you know you you do have external pressure or people who don't even understand that they're putting pressure on you but there is a lot of chatter of you know like when are you going to have children or you know these types of things and I've had to when you when that's coming in at you you do have to rather than kind of stressing out about it you just have to ask yourself like what is it that I'm doing why am I doing it you know if my decision is to put off having children and further my career my sport I have to know that that's a decision that's right for me and it it doesn't include anyone else you know like Mm. any of these people who are just kind of throwing it at you it's as long as you turn inwards and understand what right is right for you at that time, then you can make that decision yourself and be really comfortable with it. And then it doesn't matter what's coming in at you. So I've had to do that a lot um, for lots of different scenarios, including that one. Um, and so, yeah, I actually love the sport for that because it, it teaches you a lot about yourself. Mm. We could do another whole hour talking about this kind of stuff, but we, we better <laughs> between now and and the end of July Commonwealth Games. Um, what happens? Staying fit and healthy, obviously, but um, and getting to Birmingham that moment. Are you starting to think about that that yet, or do you, there's still a bit bit more to do? Uh, yeah. So at the moment, it's just between now and then. It's only three and a half months before we leave. Uh, so okay. yeah. so it's clearing my schedule and um, trying to put things in place to allow me to to train full time for the next three months before we get over there. Um, 
and then organizing uh, pre-training camp and things is happening in the background. So that's really exciting. So yeah, at the moment it's just, it's putting everything I can into my training sessions, and my recovery. Um, but for the next couple of weeks, we're also, yeah, figuring all that out and then it'll be three months full noise and then just see what happens <laughs> when we get there. Oh, can't wait. Cannot wait to see you get on that platform at the Commonwealth (laughs) Games uh, in a couple of months' time. Megan, thank you so much for joining me on Trailblazers. It has been a lot of fun and very insightful. All the best for Birmingham. Thank you, Ricky. Appreciate it heaps.